0: please visit our website at Trinity.org. Now I know that in this day and time in which we live, we have been conditioned, and then of course we see the things all around us that we are experiencing in various degrees, but we still are able to see them. And sometimes the words that are proclaimed, you wonder, is that really right? And then we start singing Christmas carols. And I ask, was this not the view of those who came before us? I mean, think of the words that you just heard sung in this hymn as he's talking about the doom and gloom here upon this earth and whether this message of Christ is true. Notice he talks about the world revolving from night to day. That is a victorious hope. So I ask, are we able to proclaim glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that that is a proper response to the birth of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that a king was born in that manger? A king that demands that every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I mean every knee, because he is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. There is no one higher. No one has more authority than the one to whom God granted all authority in heaven and on earth. And notice he said, on earth. Jesus Christ has been given all authority over this earth. And so in Sunday school, that's why we were talking about the, this, the depiction between Adam, the first Adam, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who is creating all things new. Do we really believe that as Christians or has that doctrine became just like every other doctrine that we have in Christianity that it is really something that we say, not something that we actually believe. Turn to John chapter 12. We're not going to read it in the typical fashion because of time considerations. So on Christmas Day, I've struggled with what to preach. And this year even coming through Advent, it's been different than usual. I mean, I preached on the Blessed Virgin Mary last week. And of course, in our day and time of not understanding properly the things of Scripture and not understanding Christian practice and things of that nature, it kind of raises a little, a few eyebrows, even when you say not the worship of Mary, not praying to Mary, the honoring of Mary, like we should honor all the saints that have went before us, but she's blessed among all women. She is highly favored. There are a lot of people that we favor. Moses, David. We give honor to whom honor is due, Paul, Luke. But she is highly favored. Great emphasis there. And so that's a little unusual. And it's a little, it's a strange sound in our modern ears. But it's also a strange sound in our modern ears when we come along and we say that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're like, we don't have kings. I'll have you know right now, ain't no man going to rule over me. So it's kind of hard with that message, isn't it? It's kind of hard to proclaim the message of submit when we don't believe in submission. Obey when we don't believe in obedience. Lordship when we don't believe in lordship. And so this year we've, Done a few things a little differently. So for Christmas Day, I'm going to do things differently. So we're going to preach from John chapter 12, which is actually the week of his passion, not his birth. And the reason why is uh, I was thinking on these things to begin with. And then lo and behold, the news article comes across my screen from the Christian Post. Americans worry that most have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. Hmm. Nationally representative survey found that 84% of Christians believe that Americans have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. Which also means, depending upon how you want to structure that, that means that 71% of the 84% who say that Americans have lost the true meaning of Christmas have lost the true meaning of Christmas based upon the percentages of the survey, right? Now, what's interesting, among the non-religious... They don't profess to be Christians or anything. Among the non-religious Americans, 60% believe that many have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. That is hilarious. Isn't it? Because isn't being an unbeliever, non-religious meaning that, that you don't know the meaning of Christmas? We have lost the true meaning of Christmas in many different ways. And it's not just it's not just the non-religious people, the church has as well. I mean it's something that many times is not even emphasized. But basically that survey just proves that the sheep will always be sheep, right? It's because of unbelief and disobedience that we have lost the true meaning of Christmas. It's because we're not practicing the faith that we have lost the true meaning of Christmas. It's because we're non religious. Non religious, as in not professing Christianity, and non religious among those who profess Christianity. Because isn't that another saying that we have? I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. No, what that means is this, that you don't really believe and you're walking in disobedience. All throughout history, it's been referred to as the religion of Jesus Christ, not the spirituality of Jesus Christ. It's the religion. It demands you believe something and you practice something. That's why it's a religion. So Christmas has lost its true meaning because of unbelief and disobedience. We don't know who Jesus is or why he came, and we're definitely not going to submit to him, his word, and his church. Now, as we look into our text, I do want you to notice that if you look in the beginning of um, John chapter 12, and you come down through the middle part of, well, actually, it's the first third of the chapter, you will notice that our text comes after Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So here at the latter part of this chapter, we are somewhere in the week in which he will be crucified. The last week. And here we come to this last week. And Jesus is communicating with the people. He's communicating with his disciples, with the Jewish leaders, And after all of this time, coming right up to the point of his crucifixion, you know what we find out then? What is found out here in this chapter? Is that men still didn't know why Jesus came. Multitudes had came to hear him. Multitudes had followed him for a while. But here, right before his death, no one has the foggiest idea what any of it means. No idea what his birth meant. Why he came into the world. So, after the ministry of John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord, and three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, of teaching and miracles, men still do not understand the meaning of his advent. Here we have in our text, beginning in verse number 20, some Greeks who are seeking Jesus. Notice in verse number 20, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired Him saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Kind of reminiscent here at the end, right before his crucifixion, and then at the beginning with his birth, the wise men who came to seek Jesus. And so here were some Greeks coming to seek him, just as in the beginning the wise men sought Jesus. And today, men still seek Jesus. There used to be this bumper sticker that read, Real men, uh, I forget how many different ones. Real men love Jesus, real men seek Jesus. Then there was the other one for Christmas time wise men still seek him. But the problem now is that we seek Jesus in ignorance and in our own desire to make Jesus our own personal genie based upon our own desires, imaginations, and preferences. But Jesus here, with the acknowledgement of these Greeks that were seeking him, he gives us the true meaning of what it means to seek him. And that's what I want us to focus upon here this morning, on what it really means. Jesus came into the world for a reason. To seek and to save that which was lost. He came into the world so that sinners might find salvation. New life, eternal life. Jesus Christ came to make all things new. He came so that men would seek him. And notice it says, as the Greeks say, sir, we would see Jesus. And then verse 22, Philip comes and tells Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. See, Jesus has given the true meaning of what it is to seek him. He's given, given some context to his advent, why he came into the world and what our response should be. But this is exactly the Jesus we don't do not want. This is a dangerous Jesus and one that we have to repackage and tone down and tame. Jesus came into this world so that he could be glorified, first of all. He came into this world to be glorified through death, through his holy passion and being crucified. In Acts chapter 2, we read about what his death meant, his death and his resurrection. And Peter responds to it that he died and he was resurrected so that he would be named both Lord and Christ. So he came To be glorified and to be glorified through death and resurrection to pave a new way to bring everlasting righteousness and to bring everlasting life back into the world. That which had been lost in the fall of Adam to bring it back into the world, which is why Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Are you tired of living under Adam? That's the message. Jesus came to proclaim, are you tired of this world being under Adam? I came to bring life. Adam brought death. I came to bring life. And I came to bring you life more abundant. And so he talks about his death being the means by which He was going to bring life into the world. Based upon this model in verse number 25, he that loves his life shall lose it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it. He came to be glorified. But notice also he came to be served. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And what is the context of this seeking Jesus, this following Jesus? What is the context of this serving Jesus? It is the context of losing your life. That only in death can you find life. Now, Jesus is talking about his actual physical death. And there is a sense in which there is death before resurrection. But Jesus is the one who brought in eternal life. He is the one who has granted eternal life unto those who serve him and follow him. That where he is, there his servants would be as well. But it's under this model of losing one's life. That's what he means by service. He came to be served. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your the way that you truly seek him is in serving him. So the true meaning of seeking Jesus is in his death and following him in true submission and obedience. That is the purpose of of His coming into the world. So His birth was not just so we could have this wonderful story about Mary, this wonderful story about a birth in a stable because there was no rooms available in the motels and the hotels of Bethlehem. It's not just so we can have a story about sheep. It's not so we can have a story about shepherds and wise men. Do we not hear the messages and the proclamations found by the angels and the shepherds and the wise men? Jesus Christ came to Bring life to all those who vow their allegiance to his kingdom. He came to be a king. He came to be worshiped. He came to be sought after, which is why he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I want us to look here in this passage at three or four different things depending upon time. Notice, first of all, as we see this seeking of Jesus, these Greeks that sought Jesus, and then as Jesus gives some context to what it means to seek Him, which is service and following and submission. First of all, notice the light of Christ in verses 27 through 35, where Jesus says, right after his communication there in relation to those Greeks, he says, now my, is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now, in Matthew 26, we're depicted something a little bit differently because here I think John is focusing more on Christ's divinity, whereas in Matthew it's more of a focus upon his humanity as he is asking that God would take this cup from him so that he would not have to suffer and to endure the afflictions and the pain and the death of crucifixion. But yet, even in Matthew chapter 26, we see his divinity when he says, not my will, but your will be done. But we see that here. He says, now my soul is troubled. Here's the humanity part. And then he says, my soul is troubled, but what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? Notice, he says, "Uh, no, it was for this cause that I came unto this hour. And so... His cry then is that God would glorify his name. Well, there was a voice from heaven that came from God the Father and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then the people in verse number 29, therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Another said an angel spake to him. But notice Jesus in verse 30 says, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. It was for their exhortation and their understanding, their illumination. And then in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men... Unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Now we understand that all men, being all nations, all the aspects of mankind, but nevertheless, John points out that the emphasis here was to signify the death he should die. And then verse 34, the people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how do you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said to them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he, that walk, for he who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and he departed and did hide himself from them. So we see here the light of Christ. In death, we find light. In the death of Jesus Christ, we find light. And that is the very reason why this child was born. As it is said in Matthew, that he came to save his people from their sins. He came to provide righteousness for them, which is the basis of the original covenant with Adam. And then he also came to atone for their sins in his holy passion. But notice Jesus depicts this as light. So when we talk about why Jesus came into the world, what we are saying is this, that Jesus Christ came into the darkness in order to bring light. And so he admonishes them, while you have the light, which by the way is good advice, even for today, because I've seen it over and over and over again, where the light of Christ has shown unto individuals, but they refused it, And instead of believing and seeking and following and obeying, they rejected it. And there came a time when no more light came to them. So he says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. See, we find all kinds of representations concerning light in relation to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The world was in the midst of darkness as it had been ruined through Satan and as it had been ruined through Adam's sin, an original sin, the fall as we refer to it. When sin entered into the world and over. And the world became dark once again. See, originally in God's created world, there was darkness, and then God divided the light from the darkness. He divided the day from the night, He divided the light from the darkness. In other words, when there was nothing but darkness. God manifested light. And in this world of sin. Through the fall of Adam. Jesus Christ came in to divide the light from the darkness. I am the light of the world, he says. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. So what we are Seeing here in the point we're trying to make as these Greeks are seeking Jesus and the misunderstandings that we have today on the Jesus Christ who came into this world in his first advent, the one whom we are worshiping and celebrating today, who was born in Bethlehem. That is the seeking of Jesus is the seeking of light. I am the light of the world. It is to seek light. And we must understand that if we are truly going to seek Jesus and not this mythological uh, Jesus that we have created in modern American Christianity, but the the true Jesus who actually came in the flesh, if we are going to truly seek him, it is a seeking of the light. It is not abiding in darkness. It's not sticking your head in the sand or sticking your head in the clouds. It's not retreating. It's not abdicating. It is seeking light. The whole purpose of Christ coming into the world and the whole purpose of seeking Jesus Christ is for something different. Something good. It's... The seeking of light. But notice in verses 37 through 41, the blindness of the people. Notice what it says in verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them. Remember one time he said he told people, it was like, listen, if you're not going to believe my words, at least believe me because of the works that I do. I mean, the sight, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, and the dead are raised. What more do you need? But even though he had done so many miracles before them, they believed not on him. So we come all the way up in time from his birth, now all the way up to the time of his crucifixion. And you know what the message of the gospels is concerning the people of that day? They didn't believe. After he'd done all these miracles, they didn't believe. So we notice the blindness of the people. And so John quotes Isaiah. He says, this is so that the sayings of the prophet might be fulfilled who said, Lord, who has believed our report? Paul also quotes Isaiah in Romans chapter 10 concerning this very fact. Who has believed our report? Disbelief. Major problem today. Major problem throughout all of human history, right? Unbelief. A lack of faith. Who has believed our report? And notice... John says they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he, talking about God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted that I should heal them. Now, this seems a little confusing and a little contradictory. But we know this for a very fact. That first of all, God is sovereign. He is over all things. Because he is the creator of all things. Everything is subject to him. But the secret things belong unto God, right? We don't understand all of that. We can't discern all of that. But we do know how it plays out on earth, and that is with Pharaoh hardening his heart. Now, the very first mention of Pharaoh hardening his heart actually refers to God's sovereignty. But in relation to our understanding on things here of this earth that are being revealed unto us, we know that Pharaoh hardened his heart. In Romans chapter 1, people are being given over to vile affections, being given over to a reprobate mind. Why? It's always a response to them hardening their heart. And so we see the blindness of the people because they have hard hearts. We see the blindness of the people because they do not have faith. In Matthew chapter 11, it says this, the apostle says this concerning Jesus and the unbelief of the people. It says that Jesus began to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done. In other words, Jesus was just a little bit irritated and ticked off. What do I have to do to you people? What do I have to do to prove to you? But anyway, it says that he began to upbraid them wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. The blindness of the people, it always revolves around unbelief and disobedience. You see, that's how we justify our blindness. That's how we justify our hardness of hearts. But then notice in verses 42 through 43, the aspiration of the leaders. So we have the sheep being the sheep. And the reason why they're being the sheep is because... They don't want to repent. That's what makes sheep sheep. They want to go do their own thing, wander off, get on the side of ledges and cliffs, have to be rescued. Why? Because they don't want to follow. They don't want to obey. They're unrepentant. But then notice with the leaders in verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Now, that's kind of interesting. So out of the chief rulers of the Jews who studied the Old Testament scripture, were fluent in it understood Old Testament doctrine and prophecies, it says that many of them believed on him. In other words, they knew. They knew he was the Messiah. Let me repeat. They knew he was the Messiah. And the reason why they knew he was the Messiah because they knew the Old Testament And notice what it says. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They knew he was the Messiah, but they wouldn't confess him as the Messiah. Lest, notice this, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The aspiration of the leaders. So it was the unrepentance of the people, but it's the aspiration, the greed of the leaders. Men who want to be somebody and have some things. They did not want to lose their place in their stations. Matter of fact, that's what the Jewish leaders told Pilate. That they, or they, they, they did not want this man Jesus because they were afraid they would lose. They didn't want to go against Rome because they were afraid they was going to lose their place. But anyway, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So we have this distinction going on. Jesus Christ came into the world. And men should seek him and what they should be seeking after is the light of Christ that he has brought into the world. But the people would not. Once they came to him and found out what it entailed, they would not serve and follow. They sought him all the way up until the time that they found out what it meant. And as soon as they found out what it meant, And that's the way it is today, too. Everybody wants to celebrate Christmas, but as soon as they find out what it means, they don't want to celebrate it. So the people didn't. After they found him and found out what it meant to seek him, they no longer wanted to seek him because of unbelief and And the reason for the unbelief was because they did not repent. They did not want to repent. In other words, they don't want to give up their sin. And then the religious leaders would not confess him, even though they knew without a doubt that he was the Messiah. And the reason why they didn't want to confess him is because they did not want to lose their place and their rank. Truly, Jesus said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. In John chapter 7, we find another statement about this in relation to the people and the leaders of that day that no man spake openly of Jesus for fear of the Jews. Truly, the fear of man brings a snare. And then notice in verses 44 through 50. To seek is to believe and to believe is to walk in the light. Jesus cried and said, he that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sees me sees him that sent me. I am come a light into the world. That whoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment that I should, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. So we see here that to seek is to believe, and to believe is to walk in the light. Jesus said, I am come a light into the world. And you mentioned that, and people will seek, they'll want to hear. But as soon as they hear the last part and whoever truly believes in me does not walk in darkness, then they go away. Truly, Jesus said in John three, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. But it's actually condemnation. This is the condemnation. This is the condemnation Upon the world it's the condemnation upon our nation. It's the condemnation on the modern American church. This is the condemnation. What's the condemnation? That lights came into the world. That Jesus Christ was born into this world. He came in the form of a man. To redeem them, those who were under the law, those who were in bondage to sin and death. And to set up his kingdom. To establish his kingdom. That is the condemnation. The condemnation is that Jesus Christ came. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Know why it's condemnation? Because Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are Evil. The reason why we do not celebrate the birth of a king in true submission, in true belief, in true faith, and in true repentance, and in true obedience, it's our condemnation because we love darkness rather than light. Because our deeds are evil. So I ask you this, are you seeking Jesus? Do you... Believe, do you receive his word? Do you walk in his light? Are you following Jesus? Well, Paul says, if you are. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And so on this Christmas day, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ came into the world, if we truly believe that he is the light of the world, then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on that armor of light. Paul writing to the Ephesians and exhorting them to be followers of God as dear children. He says this. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, talking about fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, whoremongering, and all idolatry. He says, because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Do not be a partaker with them. Yes, judgment is coming upon all those who will not submit to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Don't be a partaker of that judgment. A partaker of that judgment. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light. Walk as children of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful uh, works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This is what it means if we're truly seekers of Jesus, then we will receive the very things that he came to do. And we will become followers of this Jesus who was manifested in the flesh and, was, and who was revealed unto us through his word. It's not good enough to have this tamed down, watered down, modern Jesus. What we need is the true Jesus, the dangerous Jesus. The one who will turn the world upside down. The one who will split the darkness and cause it to flee. That's the Jesus we need. That is the Jesus we're supposed to worship. And that is the Jesus we are supposed to serve. Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus Christ into the world. and We pray that you would help us to decide or recommit here this day on this birth of a king, on this birthday of a savior, on this birthday of a Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the savior of the world, to follow Jesus. And may we decide each and every day from here on out to follow Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.